0: Hi, welcome to the MVR podcast number four. I'm Rachel Elmer.
1: And I'm Peter Jacob.
0: And today we are going to talk about erasure and the presence mind. Go ahead, Robert.
1: Yeah, well, it was really interesting the way you picked up on something that you and I had spoken about in the last podcast. Hmm. We spoke about... Um, The parent not overriding her feelings,
0: Mm.
1: but acknowledging them within herself and in her response to the child, finding a way to deal with it constructively. Mm. We spoke about the fact that if we harmonize too quickly, perhaps we give the message to the child that uh, tension is a terrible thing in the relationship rather than something that can take its course and that the rupture can be repaired. But mm-hmm. a real repair may take some time. And we also spoke about the way even when there is still tension, uh, a reconciliation gesture can be made to mm-hmm. signal there's more to it and we will get there. But this this notion of the um, the parent being true to her own feelings and not overriding them, you took that further um, as as we just were chatting prior to this podcast, and mm. um, I, I like the way um, you, you put that. Can you say a little bit more about that?
0: A client I'm working with whose relationship with her child has, um, has broken down and that They are in conflict, and the child is refusing the mother's attempts to repair the relationship. She's refusing, the child is refusing her her mother's um, gestures and kindness and love, and the mother increasingly became more desperate to repair that relationship and I think what I sensed in this in this piece of work was that the mother the worst case scenario was for the child to be to leave the family home and I could see it very clearly that, that, that the outcome was for the child to leave the family home for a period of time for the relationship to have some distance between them both so that they could They could then refocus on what they need, get some energy levels, get some rest, get some sleep and and start over in a new relationship. And so I talked a lot with mum about how her relationship would look with her child if her child didn't live in the family home. And the worst case scenario, the mother was very distressed just by talking and thinking about that outcome. Um, But eventually, you know, inevitably it happened um, the mother wasn't able to see how she could create this change because she was entrenched in the violence, the, the, the escalation in the violence and everything in the home was so bad. She had shut down. She had not been able to find her own way. She didn't know how to be a mother to this child all of the child had rejected every advance the parent was making and you know the solution was for the child to be to be living somewhere else. Um and she has and she is living somewhere else and the outcome of that has been incredibly positive for the child who is not experiencing any violent anger outbursts in her aunt's home and for the mother who's able to get some rest and think and make some notes and lists and reconnect with her support network and have, and what the mother then was able to, to say to me was I'm now developing my new relationship with my child and this may be the best it will ever get. But what I'm hoping is is that she'll return back home one day soon. Um, and But I'm going to be much better equipped to be able to, to withstand and to, to resist the aggression that you know the worst case scenario was actually the best case scenario mm-hmm. for those have in space mm.
1: so the starting point as it were uh was the mother's despair mm. um and the way that she was impaired that she in these circumstances could not respond the way she would have liked to have responded mm-hmm. as a parent, mm-hmm. and the way she she could have responded mm. as a parent. And this strikes me as really important that we create space in our conversations with parents, that we create therapeutic space for acknowledging this and appreciating them as parents that they're okay parents yet at this moment in time uh they they're not connected with their own qualities uh, mm. as parents in the way they they would like to be mm. and it, it ties in with this um construct that or this idea that dan Delberger first put forward um about uh erasure that mm. he, you know where parents actually said to him that they feel erased in certain ways, you know, or that parts of them feel erased, whether it's uh, their ability to attune to the child and feel empathic with the child, whether it is even their ability to just sort of connect around day-to-day things, Mm -hmm. their ability to enjoy the child, doesn't seem to be there um, that parents often then feel that they're not um, they're not in touch with their own values as a parent you know mm. that they're doing things that don't feel you know whether it's escalating whether it's fearfully avoiding the child they internally they don't feel that they are the person they are or could be And um, you you mentioned some feedback that someone gave after having uh, done some work in NVR. uh, And this person said, uh, I I can't remember, you you quoted it earlier.
0: So a parent who had attended one of our online parent seminars with um, one of our colleagues and the parent, had fed back to the colleague that she very much enjoyed the session and what had happened in the course of the six weeks is that she'd become in touch with her parenting style so the being the parent that she really wanted to be mm-hmm. um, yeah and, and I think that's really valuable feedback
1: and being the parent that she wanted to be I mean this goes back in my mind many many decades to Carl Rogers and client-centered Psychotherapy. Who who said the object of therapy is that people can become the person they want to be, mm. that people feel better about who they are. You know, so mm. this seems to be quite fundamental. And I guess what what we're looking at is both this um, this experience of erasure. Mm. Like, so that we can appreciate that experience of erasure, and then uh, what I think the uh, parent that you've been working with shows how to move out of that sense of or that that experience of erasure into a different state of mind. You know where where you are connected internally, and you also mentioned that she's reconnecting with her supporters. So you are connected internally with your own resources and who you are, and then you become also connected socially or reconnected with people around you. I'm just wondering, would it be a good idea for us to take a little bit of time to look at that state of erasure? Mm. I mean, Mm. we've already started talking about that, but sort of just um, sort of identifying what it's about and what it feels like.
0: And what I think as uh, working with the parent really very, very closely, almost on a daily basis, having some form of contact, what I had noticed and almost feel I I, I should have been more, I don't know, observant and seen the signs sooner. But the parent began to really shut down from her own sense of of worth that she just she felt very disconnected with herself as as a as a mother as a you know as a woman uh, even within her own job that she she felt that she wasn't able to concentrate everything around her and of course we are talking about um lockdown as well so with the addition of a violent child living in the home um, and all of these um changes that she was experiencing, we were also in lockdown. Um, I recall her saying that she she can't even have a conversation on the telephone without her daughter witnessing or hearing that um, and so I began to make some changes in the session um to to enable the mother to have some space to breathe and one of those was to.
1: So, sorry, can I just interrupt, Rachel? Is that okay? Um, because I'm, you know, looking at well, what is this erasure thing about? Yeah. You said you you created space in the session to enable her to breathe. Mm. And I'm interested in that metaphor. I mean, that is so powerful. Yeah. Not not being able to breathe. It also reminds me of of uh, the slogan. It's become a slogan in the Black Lives Matter protests following the the murder of George Floyd you know I can't breathe you know they're in a literal sense yeah but I'm interested in the metaphor of, of not being cool. able to breathe
0: her child was around her physically and emotionally all day every day 24 hours a day with spurts of High levels of aggression and violence, um, lots of controlling behaviour all day, every day. The mother used a term: "Everything is groundhog. My life is a groundhog. It's just more of every day, the same stuff." Um, and yeah, and she just felt that was her her expression that she couldn't breathe.
1: And and I'd be interested in um, whether that metaphor. Actually, also has something literal to it. Whether she actually breathed differently than she ordinarily
0: would, I don't think she was breathing. You know, obviously it was because she wasn't dead, but she was she wasn't able to sit tall and breathe and just have space.
1: So, so she she felt unable to breathe calmly. Yeah, which. Yeah. You know, questions that come to my mind, which we may not be able to answer now, but was she holding her breath a lot of the time? Was she breathing very quickly a lot of the time? You know, so even in a literal sense, erasure could have something to do with what happens in your body.
0: I think without a doubt, what happens within her body. And we talked a lot about what was happening in her body. Um, She just felt she was on high alert constantly. Um, she she sensed her body tighten when her child entered the room or if her child began to talk um, at her So
1: high alert uh, in expectation of an attack Yeah, so yeah. Sh- Showing survival reactivity
0: mm-hmm. and
1: tightness in the body What mm-hmm. was that tightness about? Was that about being able to flee about being able to fight but not being able to
0: there wasn't any fight no definitely more about fleeing she was afraid
1: yeah yet she could not flee no so here's that there's the impulse in her body to flee yet she can't flee because she's the mother and she's responsible so she then lives with those body sensations. So that that would really be a physical manifestation of what we call erasure.
0: Yeah. And this is day in, day out.
1: Yeah, all the time. Much of the Mm. time. I I was I was thinking of uh of a stepdad Mm. I was speaking to uh last week and the mum was unhappy over the way that she hadn't felt supported by him. Uh, in a particular situation uh, or rather he hadn't done anything physically intervened he hadn't you know used himself in the way that she would have liked him to have and I spoke to him about that and um, he said well I just feel so uncertain absolutely uncertain whether I even have a role to play in his life and this young person uh, hasn't spoken to his stepdad for about two years. He's cut him out. Mm. And um, when he sees his stepdad on the landing, he turns around and walks back into his room without acknowledging the stepdad. So part of of the stepdad's experience is, is one of deep uncertainty, whether he even has any role at all or whether he, he has any entitlement to have a role.
0: Mm.
1: You know, uh, Does he have the right to do this? And hence, he has become very passive over time. Um, but the, I think the key experience that the, the stepdad described is, is just one of uncertainty. Mm. And hence, almost like the brakes are on He's not proactive because he's feeling so uncertain
0: oh, that's you know I've been in that place in my lifetime in an uncertain place, and it's a horrible, horrible feeling, and I would imagine a parent who is in conflict with their child um however however that might look um is awful and what I've sensed from the parent I was working with that there was a real desperate need to have a place in her child's life it's from the parents. She desperately wanted mm-hmm. her child to sense her love. Um, we talked more about how, her, how, her, how she felt from the child's rejections. Um, it ran deep. It's very, very sad. Mm.
1: Will and Beckers and I have been having a lot of conversations about mattering, you know, mm and what happens to parents when they feel they no longer matter and how that experience of no longer mattering, it's it's deeper than just a belief, isn't it? It's, it's, uh, it's an embodied experience. How that then leads them to disconnect from their child and then they are no longer the parent they want to be because they do want to be connected to the child.
0: It's interesting you saying that mattering, uh, it was it, it, we used a mantra and um, invited the parent to consider uh, saying to the child through some verbal reconciliations that the child mattered to the parent. So she would take a drink into her room and just say, I brought you this drink. Um, I thought you might be thirsty. And then a little br- breather and saying, you know, you really matter to me. Mm-hmm. I love you.
1: So there, I think we would already see a beginning transition into the presence mind. Mm. If I'm to say to the child, "You matter to me," then I would only say that because of part of me also feels that it matters to the child that she matters to me. Yeah, absolutely. In other words, I matter to the child. Mm. So I think when that sense of mattering starts getting restored mm-hmm. in the parent, I matter to the child, then they're perhaps on the way of moving back into the presence mind. And I mean, to me, the presence mind is characterized by so many different ways of responding, many of which are almost automatic. You mentioned that the the mother that you were working with uh, for a while was very hypervigilant.
0: Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. So e- expecting almost an attack when you're hypervigilant, you're very, very highly aroused, you know, mm-hmm. and tense and um, you don't function in the same way. You don't relate. You don't connect in the same way. You know, so if you're moving into the presence mind and if you're approaching your child and you're telling your child as an act of reconciliation, you really matter to me and you're assuming I matter to the child in that it's important for the child to feel that they matter to me, mm. then um, you're, you're probably no longer vigilant. You may still be vigilant. You might not want to sit right near the child, you know, if they're likely to punch you, you know, it's not blowing caution to the wind, but your mind will not be entirely focused just on the risk of getting hit. Mm. Your mind will will uh, encompass so much more, such as she needs me to communicate to her that she matters to me. And in that sense, I matter to her, and uh, so the 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 mindset begins to shift. The level of arousal begins to come down. The parent is starting to become the parent they want to be again, and the parent they they can potentially be.
0: Mm. Mm. I think. I think that shift has begun to happen now as the child is now living with an aunt and that it's temporary Um, and the mother's able to we we talked a lot about um, doing your best and your best is enough that, that she's trying very hard and she's getting a greater sense of strength her communication with me is more around There's lots of planning around how she's communicating with her child, what the new relationship's going to look like, how the child can interact with her sibling, the extended family. Um, They're having a meeting coming up this week. There's a lot lot more of positivity. Um, The worst case scenario was the child had to go and live somewhere else for a short period of time. We don't know how long that's going to be. But what we do know is the mother's been able to regain some strength and through that strength, she's able to regain that position. And I think that's been helpful. And I think
1: it might be important just to um, be mindful of the fact that parents may very well shift back and forth between mm-hmm. feeling erased and regaining their presence mind. Mm-hmm. And it's our job to help them um regain their presence mind more easily and to find arrangements and responses that help them do that okay just as we come to the end of the podcast i was just wondering whether we could look back a little bit reflect on our conversation
0: i think that there's lots of different forms of erasure when an each inch family is unique with their own complexities, and I think that um, it's really helpful for us as practitioners to be mindful that, in, you know, I'd been working quite a lot with this parent utilising MVR and the whole of the approach, and, I was you know, the child was still presenting with a lot of high level of violence and aggression, Um and for me to not become despondent or erased in the in the parents world um so i think it it's also for parents but also practitioners like, you know to to not become erased and i had to regain my present mind with the parent so that parallel processes of of my work with her and how she was also experiencing the child so
1: that that seems incredibly important what you've just said absolutely yeah, I'm just also thinking about um, the, the the way we position ourselves towards parents in the NVR process, and that I guess we don't just see parents as an attachment figure, mm. but perhaps as a real living person, and that attachment is not just the parent enabling the child to become more secure and trusting of them, but it's a two-way process, mm-hmm. uh, a dialogical process in which what goes on in the parent in response to the child, but also in recapturing what else constitutes the person of the parent really matters.
0: Mm-hmm yeah okay well that's us for now we'll be back in a fortnight and take care thank you goodbye
1: goodbye